This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Long slapper blocked in front by McNabb. Comes back to Ekman Larson with the slot. Miller scores! Miller between the dots and he rips it past Leonard. The Canucks are on the board and it's 2-1. to one. Faceoff will come in the Vegas zone. It's one back to oh. the they score! William Carlson drew this back between Robin Leonard's legs and the Canucks have tied the game at two. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Three on one for the Golden Knights. Marchessault, so. left wing, in front for Theodore. He scores! Shea Theodore, the Langley boy, wins it in overtime for the Golden Knights. As they take it over the Canucks, three to two. Tonight at Rogers Arena. On the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks battle back, but come up short in overtime, losing 3-2 against the Vegas Golden Knights. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show, presented by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active on your feet for life on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Get your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650, or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And, you know, it's one of those games where the Canucks had an opportunity to maybe close the gap against the Vegas Golden Knights. And, man, they got close to maybe even winning it at the end of regulation. Tyler Myers with a golden opportunity. It sails high, and the Canucks ultimately lose in overtime. It is Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Let's bring in Corey Hirsch into the conversation here on Sportsnet 650. And Hershey, I mean, it's one of those games where you can give them some credit for battling back, but it's tough to lose another one of these games. And, you know, the playoffs, that might be too far gone anyways but man uh, it ended up being a pretty exciting finish to the game well it's always a good game but you know you look at Canucks are now six and ten in overtime right so you've given away some points but um, their start again two goals in the first period from the other team I mean how many times that's happened in the last ten games right Um, you can't do that and then always trying to play catch up but that might be one of the best games I've seen Bo Horvat play um, five scoring chances, two breakaways. You know, he had great chance from the slot. He was, you know, on. I think he was almost eighty or ninety percent on the draws. Um, he was actually, if I look, fourteen and eight. But at one point, he was like fourteen and four. Right. Yeah. So even had, when he lost, he it went in. Night. <laughs> well, the one face-off he lost, yeah, ends up as a goal. How do you? And that's the scoring. And, and he lost one in OT, and he got a breakaway out of it. <laughs> he played twenty-two <laughs> minutes tonight. And, man, did they deserve a better fate? Probably in the second and third, but they were horrific in the first, and it's, it's a start. Well, it's kind of it's it's kind of like their season, isn't it? A horrible start, good late finish, yep. but just not enough in the end. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if, if the playoffs get further and further away, and yeah. you, just gave, you just gave a point away to Vegas, right? And they couldn't, honestly, they couldn't give any points to Vegas at all if they're going to catch it. Edmonton's going to win. They're up 4 nothing right now at the end of two almost. And Dallas is in Seattle, but I mean it's one nothing Seattle. But I, you know, I don't think Dallas is going to give up two points to Seattle, who really gave away all their players at the trade deadline. So it does get further and further away. But you know what? You know Thatcher Demko was good. They've got to go into Vegas now, yeah, um, and try and get two more points and just not give up. That's really. I mean, what else can you do? You can try to correct the starts. That's really about it. I, I, I don't know why it's such a thing all of the time. 
all the time because yeah. I, I do think Vegas sat back a little bit there in the last 40, but you know, with a two-goal lead, you're naturally just going to do that and you're going to absorb some pressure from them. But they were very impressive in the first 20. And just, you have to be able to match that. You have to be able to be ready. Just If it's a one nothing Hershey, it, 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 it's yeah. completely different. Yeah, no, no question. But, um, well, I mean, I'm looking at the standings right now and Let's look at something else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, see, the reality, I mean, you, even heading into this game, guys, like the playoffs to me, it, it became a pipe dream after you lost back-to-back games against the Blues, right? The yeah. Canucks had no margin for error left. We talk about how they have very little margin for error to no margin for error. They literally had none, and they lost two games. Now they've lost four games in a row, and in that span have only picked up two points. So when you only pick up two out of a possible, you know, eight points, it's not going to go well for you the rest of the way here, right? Now you got to go, what, 11-1? and one? So, I mean, Come on. like yeah. We yeah. don't even bother having that combo even heading into this game. But more than anything, what I think what you want to see is who really wants to be here. Yeah. Right? And, and I think that's kind of the standard you're looking at. Because Boudreaux mentioned it, these final 13 games will tell us a lot about yeah. the character of this team. And if, if they can't get motivated, then we have the wrong guys. So to me, it comes down to figuring out who's motivated, who's ready to play, who wants to be here, and, and who doesn't. Get him out of here. Yeah, it comes down to evaluation now, and the organization's not. They're, they're not going, oh, we're going to make the playoffs, and now we're just going to let No, they're evaluating each player. They're looking at dollar amounts. They're looking at evaluating each player. Where do we need to upgrade? Who can we keep? Uh, you know, do is there a buyout? I, I don't know. Um, you know, we'll see. But these were all deals and players brought in by Jim Benning. And when you get a new GM, you, nobody's safe. Yeah. Because he's going to bring in his own player. Just like as a coach, when you bring in a new GM, um, which is Alvain, but it's, you know, with Rutherford's kind of probably pulling a lot of the shots right now until they get going, um, you know, we'll see. And like Rutherford said, we got a goalie. And that was his answer to, do you have a, a team that you can build on, right? All he said is, we got a goalie. So, and Demko, again, second period, makes that breakaway save, keeps it at 2 nothing. If it goes to 3, Canucks are really done. But gave him a chance to get a point. Um and then evaluating players from there. But, but Beck, Pod Colson playing so much better. Yeah. Th- I've liked him. When they shook up the lines there, he jumped up with JT Miller really strong. And, you know, he was one of the guys going on early that had a lot of energy. And we were looking for guys, okay, who's really competing here? And we were talking in the second intermission. If you made the list of guys who looked like they were really going for it, you know, for me, he was probably the top of the list, and you would expect that from the young guys at the end of the season, the guys that are fighting for contracts. Uh, so that was really, really encouraging to see. The other guy I kind of wanted to mention here, another young guy, but he's uh, the star for me, Quinn Hughes. Now, he played just shy mm, of, of 29 course, yeah. minutes overtime, and obviously with Tucker Pullman being out, more minutes for the decor. But nevertheless, uh, when they started to get back into this, a lot of it uh, sat was just because how he was yeah. dictating the tempo of the game. Well, I mean, in in the third period, I mean, he, he pulled out all the wizardry, right? I mean, what he did to uh, William Carlson. <laughs> William Carlson's an incredible skater, smart player, and essentially just crossed him up and broke his ankles, yeah. right? And then you look at how he's able to evade pressure, too. And there was one sequence at the end of the third period, Bick, I turned to you as well. I just couldn't believe what Quinn did. He had two four-checkers on him behind the net, and he somehow pretzels his way out of it without anybody touching And it was a loose puck in front of the net. Yes. And he just kind of like, yep, no problem. Yeah. All right, no problem. And just oh, it's ridiculous. skated yeah. it away. And, and he ridiculous. does it so effortlessly, Hershey, and he does it so easily, and it comes off so nonchalant that I think half the time we just take it as, oh, yeah, 
He's not trying that hard. It's so incredibly difficult to pull that off, but then what does it say about his pulse to be that cool under that pressure and be able to do that without essentially breaking a bead of sweat? Yeah, and it's... Well, it's... I mean, he's a special player. He's a special talent. And every time he's out there, he makes something happen. Um... It's a pleasure to watch. It really is. I thought Pedersen had some really good shifts too. Uh, you know, again, in, in the end, it was the it was the start. The start killed them. Part of that is being off for three days too. Yeah, it, it really is. It's it's you're trying to get your rhythm right, back. but we can't do the, the thing no, where it's like oh they're they're fatigued from so many games and then you get yeah, three three excuse. days off. Yeah. It's like well, there's no reason you can't have it both ways. You, you have to come out firing, and I don't know what that is with this team. It's there could be preparation wise. It it doesn't it doesn't fall on the coaches for something like that. You, your team isn't, you know. Oh, they, I mean, they don't come. I mean, listen, I mean, Boudreaux's done everything he possibly can at this point. He's pulled every single. I mean, the only card he hasn't played is a lotto line, and, yeah. and maybe he's confused that it's too much of a lottery long shot that he won't play it. <laughs> so maybe somebody should talk to him that the lotto line is not a long shot. It's actually you know a jackpot line like you put it a couple of years ago, Vic, right? <laughs> but like to me. That's the only thing you can point to and say, hey, hey, this is what he's not doing. But yeah. Boudreaux's done everything he can. And ultimately, the early parts of the season sunk them. And we can talk about that seven-game homestand, too, that, too, in this last little stretch. Ultimately, that's what put them behind you know, the eight ball. But when you have such a horrible start, you needed a, a miracle run to get in. And Boudreaux did his best. They got close. But these players still have to wear the early part of the season. And it also shows that no matter how well you play under Boudreaux, you put yourself in that big of a hole early in the year. Yeah. That's your season right there. And and to me, we can't just look at this season and say, well, what they've shown under Boudreaux shows they're a great hockey team. Well, well it shows you're a bubble team under Boudreaux, right? Like he's, yeah. he's But Boudreaux's going to yeah. show the true potential of this team. And the true potential of this team is being a bubble team that's capped out, which is fine to stay in a playoff race, but not fine to be a contender. And ultimately, this organization understands that, Hershey, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they've got a lot of work to do, I, and I, I, you know, I don't see any buyouts. Um, no. You know, at least there's that. Um, question is going to be, what do you do with Brock Besser? You know, that's going to be my question because he's the RFA. Yeah. So he's going to want to raise. What's he at? Five and a half. Pretty close. Yeah. Twenty goals doesn't get you six, seven million dollars, right? I mean, he's he had to have a better year, and it. You could try and move him, but no one's who's going to move him knowing that he's an RFA and he's going to want more money than what he made. Yeah. So, and you're not going to go backwards. Um, so, what do you do there? That that to me is the toughest decision of the summer. Um, what do you do with him? I mean, there's a lot of tough decisions, but that's going to be the toughest because you're you're not going to give him seven million dollars for or six and a half, or maybe he signs a one year deal at the same amount of money, and and you hope that he has a better year next year, right? Not that he's had a bad year. Twenty goals is still, but there's there's lots of different things. And the fact that it's only six forty five right now, I really don't know what to do with the rest of my night. Right, it's it's an it's an early night, Hershey. Is that a good thing or a bad thing at this point? Well, you guys want to go to Sizzler after this? What do you want to do? <laughs> Sizzler. Sizzler. We're going to Sizzler. Is that from like uh, yeah? Do they have a Sizzler here. I don't even think they do. Is Sizzler even back in the day? Remember back in the day, Mister Mike's. Did you ever go to Mister Mike's? With oh, I remember Mister Mike's. Yeah, yeah. Mister Mike's. There's yeah. a Mister Mike's near my place. Is there? Yeah, they're still rolling. Still Good rolling. for them. Still, yeah. <laughs> still, still going pretty hard. All right, Hershey. Well, we'll let you go and figure out what's going on the rest of this evening. So uh, go find a sizzler and let us know where you're at afterwards. Well, we'll shout out to you. OEB for taking care of me at breakfast this morning. Oh, attaboy. There you go. <laughs> Shameless plug. 
right? Yeah, you owe me at least a coffee now well, or something. You'll probably get another. Uh, you, you might get some, you might get free sugar for your coffee. How about that? Oh, I love it, guys. Thanks. Uh, that is Corey Hirsch, color analyst on the Canucks broadcast, alongside Brendan Bachelor, play-by-play voice of the Canucks on Sportsnet 650. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650, or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Um, now, Bick, before we go to the text inbox and we get to uh, the phone boards and some fan reaction, head coach Bruce Boudreaux will be at the podium coming up in, in a couple of minutes. But, you know, you mentioned Quinn Hughes, you know, in this game, and, and you see the potential he has. And even Elias Patterson, who didn't, you know, feature on the score sheet in a big way tonight, but he was one of their better skaters. There's still that higher level both these guys have, right? And I think what you're seeing from Quinn, he's taken a big step this season. But you can already tell there's even another level that he's probably going to get to next year. Just just the way his game continues to grow, even this late into the season. Yeah, Hershey mentions it a lot. Just once he gets a little bit stronger. Again, not that he's weak. It's just that he's in his early 20s. He's just naturally going to get uh, physically developed uh, over the next couple of years. And I think you notice like, it's very noticeable when he's on the puck right now. And when he needs to receive the puck and how he can dictate the tempo of the game from an offensive point of view. The next thing that's going to have to happen is how can he control the game without the puck in the offensive zone? And what yeah. I mean by that is how do you threaten to compress the game and make it easier for your four checkers? There's not a lot of defensive acumen there just yet. It's it's a, it's average, it's above average, but he's such a smart player, and you know there's more there. Once you can start dictating and, and making the game flow in in your direction off of the puck, that's the part I'm really excited about. And that's something that you're going to have to see develop a bit more with his own physical strength and just naturally uh, getting more experience and being a bit wiser on the ice. Yeah, just, I mean, overall getting a bit smarter, more kind of familiar. But, I mean, they're just – there's just such an ease to his game that I think mm-hmm. sometimes just make things seem a lot easier than they are. You know what I mean? And, and it just becomes so normalized with the way Quinn Hughes plays. A lot of a lot of great thoughts coming into the text inbox. Six fifty six fifty. Thoughts on Putkolzin? Last few games he has looked great. I'd say big tonight was another strong game from Vasily Putkolzin. Really good on the forecheck. A couple of good chances. His ability to cut and get to the net is really good. And he's another guy that. I think the hallmark of his game as time goes on is probably going to be pure strength and power, right? I think that can kind of be the real strength of his game long term. But when he gets a bit strong, when he gets a bit faster as well, I can see if he gets a little, if he gets an extra gear, one more step, he can be a guy that drives the net consistently. You saw that on that one play in the second period where he made Leonard, you know, have to make a big save. Yeah, and I think you do see that there is another gear there. This is not something that we're trying to project. Yeah, it's. Sometimes he, he puts his heel down and just, okay, there's there's a little bit more jump to this guy than, than he shows consistently. But he's still a young player, a rookie in this league. It will come with time, and it's going to be a big offseason for him because this isn't, hey, you just got drafted and, and you're thrust into the league. This is draft plus two, and you're played in a men's mm-hmm. league, and now you're playing here pro in North America. Go in the offseason, put in a lot of work, dry land training, whatever it is, and come back even stronger and faster. And, and there's another guy that has some physical maturity to go, which can directly translate into a bit more effectiveness on the ice, whether it's production. Uh, but I think the exciting bit is how he can just be an overall 
influencer on the ice. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are a lot of strengths to his game that he can provide. Consistency is one part of it. It's really about developing his traits, right, more than anything else. And if he keeps doing that, there's a lot of good to his game. He's just such a smart player on the ice. He, he, takes, he takes tremendous angles, yeah. plays with some pretty good leverage, and because the processes of the game maybe just right now are, are going a bit fast because, you're look, you're a rookie in the league. Yeah. But once that stuff smooths out and he's just playing off instinct rather than trying to read and react – You'll see a lot more pace to his game just just naturally occur. Well, and, and I, from one of the things I can kind of gather talking to people is he really is a good kid, right? Like he shows up, he works hard, he's you know he's very receptive to the message. You know, he's a guy that can be teased. He's teachable, right? He's, he's never looked frustrated this year. Exactly. And I think that's a big thing for yeah. a young player, the way he come, comes in. So I think he's got the right mentality. He's got the right work ethic. And it's just a matter of him putting that together. And a lot of people are, are commenting on that. Johnny Mack says, but Colson played a great game. I'd love to see Rathbone play down the stretch. Now, we will hear from Boudreaux momentarily. And we'll see what he says about Tucker Pullman who left the game in the first period. That could open up an opportunity, obviously. But I do believe we are going to see Rathbone at some point here. And you probably do want to get a look at him as well. If you're this region, as, as much as you don't, you don't want to bank on a young guy for next year either and everything, but you haven't seen this guy play NHL games. you got to get that look at some point, and that's going to happen. It just may not be right away. For sure. And shout-out to the Avs for Canucks. They clinched their playoff spot this evening as well. Rathbone playing a big hand in that as well. Uh, you know, a handful of games here would make a ton of sense uh, for Jack Rathbone. Yeah. Somewhere in the range of, what, five to eight, something like that. Um, you know, play out these last couple of games here uh, and, and give him just a sample to see what it's like and, and get an idea of, hey, this is what I have to do heading into the off season. Yeah. Because I – you know, the very small sample size that we've seen from him, he's got NHL skating ability. He's got an NHL shot. He's got some pretty good offensive instincts. It's how do you round out the rest of your game? And I think it's a good thing. They've left him down there for the bulk of it. Really start to smooth out your game and then just, just get a sample. Just wet your beak a little bit yes. uh, of, of what the NHL is like and, and take that into next season. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of potential there in his game. It's just a matter of seeing how what the timeline is. It may not be right away as far as when he plays. Torgi says, no excuse. It's ridiculous. Come to play from minute one, referring to the bad starts. And Tyler says, I was actually at the game today. I'm seriously wondering if there's any explanation that they play crappy in the first constantly. It blows me away. That's Tyler and Torgi earlier too. It's been a theme this season. And at some point, you know, to borrow uh, a phrase that uh, our guy Yannick Hansen used when referring to this team at one point in the season when we talked about those fast starts, the bad starts, and he said, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. This is what this team is, right? Like, this team is incapable as constituted in the moment to have consistently good starts. They're incapable. We've seen 70 games now. You know what I mean? Like, that's not going to change over the final 12 games all of a sudden magically, and you're going to be this consistent, you know, team that's a self-starter and ready to go, you know, every, every single game the rest of the year, and they figure it out. I think this is what they are. They're a team that is incapable of starting games consistently at a high level. And, hey, I understand it's a National Hockey League. You can't do it 100% of the time. Hell, 90% of the time might be asking too much. These guys ain't even doing it 50% of the time. It's their biggest problem. And, and look, we're talking about some things that are, were encouraging this evening, but the overwhelming headline is they don't start the game very well. It's it's yeah. once again 
Same theme. It's once again it's the same theme. And maybe we're just fatigued about talking about it. I don't know. But no matter what, the reason the Canucks didn't win tonight was their start. That's it. Yeah, and like I mentioned before, like it's an encapsulation of their season. A bad start to the year, and then they can't overcome it late in the season no matter what they do. So there, there were individual performances worth talking about tonight. Uh, and I feel like we've kind of done that. But, again, I'll go to back back to my uh, broken lamp theory. It's, you know, you break a lamp and you put it together. It's like, okay, cool, thanks for putting it back together. But you did break it. It just it doesn't look as nice as it was before. That, that's what tonight was. Again, a slow start. You bust the lamp. You put it back together over the course of 40 minutes. Nice. But, again, you didn't help your season. No. End of the day, you didn't help your season. No, no, did not for sure. Uh, this text unsigned. So what do we have to what do have to go now to make the playoffs? 11-0-1? Yeah, at least. Yeah. 11 0 one will put you at 97 points. And traditionally, 97 means you're okay. But even then, like, that's what we're talking about. Going perfect the rest of the way takes them to 98 points. Yes. Yeah, I mean, exactly, right? And just to give you an idea of where the other teams are, if everyone else went perfect the rest of the way, it's about 100, 911 points. Yeah. So... There's about a four or five game gap between you and the and you and everyone else. Let's go to head coach Bruce Boudreau at the podium. Bruce, that's a script we've seen an awful lot this season. The slow start, the third period push, and then struggles in overtime continue for you. That's pretty well it. I mean, I don't know what else you can say. I don't know why we don't start on time. I mean, they had us 10-1 in shots in the first period. Uh, I think teams know this and they come out flying we should be able to know that hey we got we got to spit uh you know uh hold off and and play hard for the first period and we usually when we're in the lead or tied we usually end up winning the game Connor and, and JT didn't have any magic at all early on, but when you flipped him with Petey, it seemed like things picked up a little bit. Well, I mean, Petey, when he's skating, was, uh, you know, like, I mean, he's got more room to skate when he's center ice. Uh, and uh, I thought Pods and Chase on were playing pretty well, you know. And we had to try something. I mean, we, uh, we weren't getting anywhere the way we were going. So we tried it, and, you know, we got two goals, and I'll, I'll swear till doomsday that there was 10 minutes and 19 seconds on uh, on the clock when the puck went in the net I don't know why all of a sudden they look at it and and then they know because I just looked at it they can see that it's 10 19 when it goes in and then the clock turns but a clock turns after the puck's in the net so it should have stayed at 10 19 I don't, I don't get it I don't know the rule but I don't understand it was that what you guys dropped in the in the timeout no I don't think so <laughs> Do you think if I knew the pro- the answer to the problem, I wouldn't be solving it already? Evidently, and we talked about it before the overtime. We talk about it all the time to stay on the right side of the puck, and there was no reason for fifty three to go on that side of the puck. We didn't have control of it, and even Petey could have checked from the other way. I mean, it's. Uh, and then we, you know, in overtime, you can't go deep guys one-on-one when you're not going 100 miles an hour, and we still try that, too. So, I don't know. I'm at a loss in that. What can you tell us about Tucker Pullman, and is it a reoccurrence of 
it's a reoccurrence of what was was going on. So I guess I'll just reevaluate and see where he is. Was there any discussion of getting him a game in the minors before playing back here in the NHL? No. no I mean, it would have been the same uh, same result, I would think, if if that was to happen. I mean, he's an NHL player. I mean, uh, I don't think that was would be one of the things that would do it. But, I mean, I mean, on the other hand, I give the guys an awful lot of credit. I mean, the second and third period, I thought we played really good. And... Uh, uh, with five defensemen down the third period, I thought we played a really almost perfect game defensively. And, uh, uh, you know, we had chances to win it many times. We just didn't do it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux after a tough loss in overtime for your Vancouver Canucks against the Vegas Golden Knights. And, Bick, he was... Uh, you know, he was pretty honest yet again. I mean, Boudreaux is honest when it comes to how this team prepares. He mentions, you know, if he had an answer to how they started the game, he wouldn't be sitting here talking about it at this stage. And he was critical about, uh, you know, that goal that gets scored late in overtime. For sure. And, look, he's been very vocal about the starts, right? And, yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> it was it was kind of a spicy answer there. He's, you're talking about the OT. So, say, hey, if I had an answer for you, or if I knew the problem, don't you think we'd be working on it? And I think for you can apply that same logic to the start of the games. Bruce isn't going into these pre-game meetings and, and tactical planning think, thinking, oh, it's okay that we're, we're starting poorly because he cites the first goal stats quite a bit and how successful they are. You mentioned in the pre-game, like this is on the players. This is something that you've got to do to, to self-motivate and be ready for these. And Tonight was even an earlier game, so you could have got psyched up uh, even earlier. There's no reason to to not be excited to start this game. And you know, he's mentioned, hey, maybe we need to get some sports psychologists in here before. It's it, he's asking great questions, yeah. And, and maybe he just doesn't have the answers at his disposal, but he's asking great questions. And right now, the people that have to answer. Those questions are the players. Well, they do, and they have. And so far, as far as the starts are concerned, they've failed to answer those questions. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox six fifty six fifty. You can also grab a phone line six zero four two eight zero zero six fifty or toll free one triple eight two seven five zero six fifty. It is Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar, and this is a Canuck Central Post Game Show presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Do your feet hurt? Kintech can help. Talk to a fitting expert today at eleven Lower Mainland locations or online at K I N T E C. More coming up on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now, more of the Kintec Footwear and Orthotics Canucks postgame show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Three on one for the Golden Knights. March to show. Left wing in front for Theodore. He scores! Shea Theodore, the Langley boy, wins it in overtime for the Golden Knights as they take it over the Canucks 3-2 tonight at Rogers Arena. You think if I knew the pro- the answer to the problem, I wouldn't be solving it already? <laughs> I, evidently. And we talked about it before the overtime. We talk about it all the time to stay on the right side of the puck. And there was no reason for... 53 to go on that side of the puck we didn't have control of it and even Petey could have checked from the other way I mean it's uh, and then we you know in overtime you can't go deep guys one on one when you're not going 100 miles an hour and we still try that too so I don't know I'm at a loss in that 
Bruce Boudreau at a loss when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks and how they start poorly and aren't able to overcome that. And once again, it costs them this game. Down two buzz after the first period. They come back to tie and force overtime, but ultimately come up short, losing 3-2. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active on your feet for life on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Get your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. And you can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. You're toll-free, 888 Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. And Bick, you, you know, we are going to get to fan reaction, phone calls, and text messages coming up in, in just a minute. But when we look at what happened in overtime, there was a, a lack of discipline, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it was decisions you made with the puck, um, how hard you back checked, the angles you kind of took. We talked about JT Miller at times in overtime doing that. We saw Bo doing that in overtime tonight. We saw a couple of bad selfish decisions in overtime, I thought, as far as players with the puck and what they decided to do with the puck when they had it. That, to me, also kind of speaks and goes back to their lack of discipline in their starts. And when there is still an, an, when there is an inherent lack of discipline within a team, they prop come up at inopportune times often. And I think we're seeing a lot of that here with this team. It's not from a lack of effort, generally speaking. This team tries, right? And I think that's where the confusion comes in, that it's not a team that doesn't care and doesn't want to play hard. I think they just don't know how well to work and how much harder they have to work and how disciplined and focused they have to be to be successful more consistently. And I think that is their biggest shortcoming. But in, in opportune times, or in times when the pressure is on and, and, it's, and the heat is up differently... They, they're trying, but they're not playing smart. And it catches up with you, and it caught up with them again in overtime tonight. When they keep telling you who they are, listen. Maybe listen. <laughs> right? And, and I, I understand everyone's got very logical yeah. demands of, well, you have to start better, and you got to play smarter. Maybe they're just not those people. Yeah. That's fair to ask. And you know, Bruce's point of guys playing on the wrong side of the puck in overtime is valid. I'm just re-watching it here. Look, Patterson goes to chase down... Uh, Marcia so and Marcia so standing still on the boards and he he's pushing him up ice rather than pushing him back towards the Vegas goal line so you're on the wrong side of the puck Bo Horvat tries jumping a passing lane and doesn't reset himself yeah so he's on the wrong side of the puck and sure enough it turns into a three on one and no matter how hard you skate which neither of them really put in exemplary efforts to get back you're going to be behind the play. And so if you play with the right leverage, even in the offensive zone, it matters. Yeah. Especially three-on-three because there's more space to manipulate and take advantage of. You're going to trail the play. So if you're not making smart plays, you have you have to then win the puck. They're not winning the puck. Not consistently enough, right? And that's where the issue comes in. They're playing. They, they, they try to make plays that are 50-50 with 100, 100% certainty. It's like, oh, I'll play from behind, but I know I'm going to get the puck. No, you're not. It's a 50-50 play. It's a lack of discipline, right? Because that is the easier thing to do than putting yourself in the right position, getting your body there. Right? It's easier for you to lean over and try to reach over and, and try to you know lift the stick. That's the easy thing to try to do. And, and the Pedersen, hard thing to do is getting your body there. And Pedersen knew it right away. Yeah. As soon as he lost the board battle, sunk his head. And then he had to work to, try to work to get back into the ice. He barely makes it into the zone yeah. uh, by the time the, the goal goes in. Again, and, and he did have a really good game. The, the, the first three periods, he was really strong, being energetic, being active, throwing the body. Being physical, obviously we know about the play with him and Besser and Hutton there on the, on the wall. But 
these moments constantly show up. Yeah, they show up in a big way. Uh, a lot of great texts coming into the Dunbar Lumber text inbox. Brandon and Coquitlam. Bruce sounds like a disappointed father who saw his kid's report card with a terrible grades. With a terrible grades once again. The disappointed <laughs> father uh, takes uh, never <laughs> never disappoints. Slater and Mission. And you know what? I, you know what? If, if this question was posed, say, four months ago, people were like, what, what, are we, what are we talking about here? But I think now, people have grown to appreciate this player, and he's played good. Slater in mission. Wondering why Brad Hunt came out of the lineup. Well, he came out for uh, Tucker Pullman, who played tonight. Yeah. And, you know, that was the other uh, part of what Boudreaux mentioned in the postgame press conference. Not good news for Tucker Pullman, who had been de- dealing with concussion-like symptoms, even if it wasn't. we don't quite know exactly what the issue was. Like Boudreaux himself said, I'm not a doctor, I can't tell you. But we know that it were kind of head symptoms he had with dizziness and not feeling great and all those sort of things. And Boudreaux mentioned that those things had cleared up the past couple weeks, and those things reappeared after he played in the first period tonight. And that is why he left the game and did not return. So that's not a good sign or good news for Tucker Pullman. And we wish him the best, and hopefully uh, that's something that does clear up and get better for him. But the reason to answer Slater's question, Brad Hunt came out of the lineup, was for Tucker Pullman to play. So it may not be very long until we see Brad Hunt back in the lineup, or... Like Dave from Surrey mentioned, Aperture Canuck, Canucks clinched a playoff spot with a win over Laval and Rathbone with a game winner. Unless we see Rathbone come up, I think Hunt gets back in the lineup. And Burroughs like, isn't too far away either. I'd like to still see Jack Rathbone hang out in the I'm NHL with you. for a bit more. Oh, I mean, bit, I mean, don't, don't you want to see him play a couple games before the end of the season at least? Just a, a handful maybe? Five. Yeah. Uh, again, that's my threshold, five. Try to get him at least five. Because I... I the Abbotsford Canucks are, are having some success here, going to the playoffs, keep that continuity going, because you have bodies here. Um, for, for me, it's about five to eight games, somewhere around there. Yeah, I think I think that's about the number. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. Uh, let's go to the phone board, 604-280-0650. And we start in Langley, where our friend Nigel is on the line. Nigel, thanks for calling in, lad. What do you have for us tonight? Nigel. You hear me okay? There, there we, we go. go. We got you now. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, uh, yeah. thanks for taking my call, lads. Um, yeah, it sure has been frustrating watching the Canucks get off to so many uh, slow starts over the past two months, especially uh, having the motivation of uh, making the uh, the playoffs. I mean, I don't know what needs to be done. I don't know if they should start um, uh, start the games at 8 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock uh, or, um, you know, but uh, it's just uh, it's, it's just really, uh, it's, it's just been really frustrating and you know, I, I I said this once last year that you know that horn that they wind up at the beginning of the game. I think they've yeah. got to get it, get rid of that horn. I think you know that horn in itself. If you don't crank it really hard, it it, it sounds like a like a sick cow, right? You know, I think what they need to do is get something more motivating. You know, get get some kind of a horn or you know just something that can rev the crowd up a little bit more because that 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 horn at the beginning of the game just doesn't do it, at least not for me. But um, just wanted to say too that um, one of the uh, former Canucks. Goalies won a game tonight, which was yeah. uh, great to see. Corey Schneider won a game last against his former team, uh, the uh, Jersey Devils. So that was uh, that was good to see. First win in two years. Anyhow, yeah, I'll no. leave it at that, lads. Take care. Thank you, Nigel. Always a pleasure hearing from Nigel who calls in on the postgame show. And, you know, uh, he mentions the horn. We had some people text about that as well. It's like, hey, if, if you're not going to be able to put your all into it, then maybe, you know, it's going to be one of those hard things to do. And I know it's a fan engagement thing. It's not ultimately going to matter what happens. But I do think it's kind of funny when, when a team loses a lot, certain things really annoy you. 
You know what I mean? Because you associate those things with losses, and that's kind of what happens more than anything. But, you know, I can understand. I get it. When you had a tough season and the things, you know, don't sound great sometimes, like, you know what, can, can we just not do this? I got nothing. <laughs> it's just it, – it it, It's just frustration. If it comes down to the horn for the players – then we got much bigger problems. I don't know, man. I mean, Boudreaux himself said if you can't get motivated for this game. But the horn's <laughs> not going to do it for you. No, no. But I'm saying they're clearly not getting motivated for the yes. game. So there is an issue. You're, you're right. I mean, there's a greater issue here uh, than that as well. Uh, let's continue on the phone boards. Uh, 604-280-0650. Uh, and let's go to Don and Bella Bella. Don, thanks for calling in. What do you have for us tonight? Oh, hi there. Yeah, I just uh, totally agree with that last fella that is called um, – Rutherford totally has his work cut out for him either this summer or hopefully at the draft because Besser is too slow for what they're trying to build here. I mean, I can go on and on. Poolman and Dickinson not doing anything. Uh, Garland's too small. Hoglander's too small. Um, you know, I, I just look at the Habs, what they've done. They just totally sold big. They have 13 picks coming in this draft. Like two firsts, one second, three thirds. I mean, I can go on and on up to 13 draft picks. And uh, I'm just hoping that Rutherford just, just does it. Like, don't worry about hurting any player's feelings. Like, you know, don't worry about what EP says. Oh, what are we doing blowing this thing up? Why am I here? Just do it. Thank you. Hey, thanks for the phone call. That is Don and Bella Bella. And ultimately, I, th- I think moves are coming this offseason. I've been saying this for a long time, and, and I know people listening sometimes, you know, it might get repetitive, but it's happening. Like, the moves will be coming for this team this offseason, right? And, and I still maintain the main reason we didn't see bigger moves at the deadline, simply valuation. Teams didn't meet the price for those players that have been mentioned here, right? The Canucks understand they have to make moves. I mean, how many times has Patrick Alvin come out and said, we have to, we have to uh, clear more cap space. We have to you know, make some tough decisions. We can't have too many bad contracts on the books. I mean, he said that too many times. Rutherford keeps saying, we might have to take a step back before we take a massive leap forward again as a team. Stan Smeal, we spoke to him from Abbotsford last week, Izzy and I on Canuck Central, and he said, priority number one, clear cap space this offseason. This team knows what has to be done. They understand what they have to do. It's a matter of making the right deals. That's what they're looking at to do, and I think you know, like Don mentioned, Bick, the draft is really going to be the time where we should be expecting some action for the from the Canucks trade wise. I'm just not sure what people are concerned about why they don't think there will be moves. Because even if you want to say, well, since December sixth, okay, let's look at it. Since December sixth, they're twenty four, thirteen, and eight. Six twenty win percentage. That's good for fourteenth in the league. It's not some spectacular margin where you're like, Oh my goodness, we have to commit to this. Even if they finish fourteenth since December 6th, they would say, you know what? What do we have to do to improve? No one, no one's going to be thrilled having the 14th best record since December 6th. So relax a little bit on the idea that moves aren't coming or they're going to commit to this team based on what they've seen since Bruce Boudreau arrived. Again, 14th by points percentage. And if you take that from January 1st, once you get past the coach bump that yeah. happens to every team, they're 17th by points percentage since in this calendar year. That's not special. No, That's 17, not it's bubble team. It's bubble Nobody, team. Nobody's tying their career to being 14th or 17th best in the NHL. They're going to try to make improvements. Well, well you have to make improvements. And again, like you can say being a bubble team is not a bad thing, but if you're capped out and you don't have room for improvement, 
then it's not a good thing. And what, what did Rutherford himself say? And I keep referencing what they've said because they're telling you what they're going to do. Rutherford, they, they have followed their plan immaculately yes. for what they've said publicly. Rutherford himself said, we're a bubble team. We're a team that's not in the playoffs, and we're up against the cap. That's not a good spot to be in, right? Again, they're going to do things, and, and it's going to happen. We'll see ultimately which players find their way out, and I think there are a lot of guys you can point to. I mean, Connor Garland, I can see more and more every time we watch him play why – an organization may not be sold on him as much as he's a guy that helps you and he's a good player. Is he ultimately giving you what you need for what he's getting paid? And if he's not, then you might have to make that decision, right? And Brock Besser, you got to pay him. Do you want to pay him? Make that decision. Those are the two real key guys, not to mention JT Miller and Bo Horvat and, and a bunch of other guys in this roster. A lot of decisions to be made by this Canucks front office. Uh, a lot of great texts coming in to text inbox, 650-650. Uh, I'll go to you here in a second, Bick. And this one says, uh, I love Simple Minds, but our goal celebration song sucks big time. I blame that. So there you go, Bick. Don and uh, you know Nigel and Langley started something, so now we're getting goal songs. And you well, got, you, I will say the game ops has been phenomenal. They have this year. been. The, the, the I love game, the simple mind. The in-game experience has improved greatly yes. from, from years ago, and it's actually really strong. And I think you know full credit to the fans because we we go, we come here every night, and there have been some rough nights and slow starts that don't necessarily get the the fans energized. But the fans are committed, man. And, and, and maybe it's because it was a year without hockey and you being able to go to games, but Every night here, on, on nights where it doesn't look like they're going to win yeah. and they have these slow starts constantly, the fans are one of the reasons you could say that they stay engaged in these games because the fans do a remarkable job. Oh, they do. I mean, the fans have been completely engaged. And I think what it also kind of shows here is a lot of the fans have been waiting to, for someone to cheer. They want to cheer something. They want to get out and have a good time here at the rink. And, you know, they just haven't been able to watch this team win enough. I mean, this team is 14-14-6 and six on home ice. Uh, our guy, uh, Clay Emu, Canuck Clay, says, As a recent siren cracker, I refuse to let the blame go to the siren for the Canuck Sports starts. <laughs> Canuck Clay refuses to, t- to take responsibility. I saw Canuck Clay when he uh, rolled on the siren. Like, he, he gave it his all. I mean, yeah. he, he put into it. <laughs> uh, when the whole siren's shaking, he was, he was giving he it. He was giving it, man. He was controlling it well. He had good <laughs> control. And uh, he was being cheerleaded on very well, too. Uh, Amar on Twitter says, Great call from Don. And so the callers are getting some love on Twitter as well. All right, let's continue on the phone boards. 604-280-0650 or toll-free. 1-888-275-0650. Let's go to North Van where our friend Stuart is on the line. Stuart, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, gentlemen. Uh, loving the post-game show as always. And, you know, here we are, the tail end of another season. So I thought, well, I'm going to take every opportunity I can to talk to you, uh, to you lovely gentlemen after a game. And, I mean, I think first and foremost, over the last maybe two, three weeks, I think the writing was somewhat on the wall in terms of it was going to be a mixture of the Canucks just running out of gas just for how well they've played in the last 45-ish games. And then with the post-trade deadline schedule, we knew it was going to be a murderer's row. And, I mean, even on a night where maybe the other team's not you know, at their A game, these slow starts are just killers for the Canucks. So, I mean... I, I think two years ago I called in and I, I, I quoted this line from uh, The Dark Knight uh, Rises where it was, you know, victory has defeated you. That's what it is with the Canucks. It just feels like, <laughs> you know terrific. what I mean, boys? Yeah, yeah I got you, like, man. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It feels like the Canucks, you know, they, they don't start playing until the second period. And it's, it's happened enough where it's almost a habitual thing. You know, every team has a, a bad 
the Avalanche have had bad games this year. It's just that's sports. That's nature. But it, it seems like it's every game. It's basically as though we're starting with the scoreboard with the Canucks like negative one, the other team zero, and we have to play just to get the even. And, I mean, I think with the last few games here down the stretch, honestly, at this point, I'm glad the playoffs are kind of out of the you know potential for us because now I want to see, okay, who's still going to be showing up early to work? Who's still going to be trying? Because right now we can just like objectively look at the players going forward. And there's, you know, I was looking at the stats for the Canucks and there is a good chance that Brock Besser could be the seventh leader for the points on this team. In what universe could any of us fathom Tanner Pearson and Connor Garland potentially passing him? So I think these next few games are going to be a great opportunity to look at these off-season changes. And I agree. I think going into the trade deadline, I was not shocked at all that it was pretty much all quiet on the Western Front. I think the off-season one's going to happen, and I think it's good we're not making the playoffs because knowing our luck, we get swept in four games, and Bo Horvat would break his leg or something. You know, so it's, it's good. Just get the season done with, reevaluate the offseason, take it from there. You guys have a great day, and uh, thanks for taking my call. Hey, Stuart, uh, always appreciate the phone call, and we always appreciate quotes from the Dark Knight. Uh, the Dark Knight rises, too. I mean, Bick, you and I love I'm those Batman what their movies. victory was, though. Like, well, what, what victory defeated them? The Canucks' victory defeated them. Um, like the bubble? No, not really. I think kind of. Stuart, text in, 650-650. What, what victory defeated them? That's a great line. That's a good line. Peace has cost you your strength. <laughs> victory has defeated you. <laughs> that is so good. Bane is fantastic when it came to the quotes. All right. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into the text inbox, 650-650. And uh, uh, <laughs> people, people got takes on the intros and everything. And, Jeremy and says the Avengers one is done. Hey, I mean, honestly – those are not the issues. They're not. No. When you're at the game, nobody has we a problem with happening. We can have some fun happens. tonight. We yes. can have some fun. It's, it's okay. Enjoy it. All right. Keep the thoughts coming in on the text inbox and also on the phone boards as well. Just one more from Keith the Water Guy. It's ironic that everyone complains the Canucks are a bad team. Then they are surprised when they lose games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And hey, the thing is, they're not a bad hockey team. And I think sometimes what happens what happens is when they win, they get referred to, oh, they got this great team, great potential. When they lose, like, oh, they're a bad team. And that's why you get such a polarizing difference as far as the reactions to wins and losses. But I think it's what they've been and what they've shown that they are. They're an average team that has above-average goaltending. And that's a bubble team. you know. And had things gone well earlier this season, maybe they squeeze in with 95, 96 points. But because they didn't, they're going to be on the outside looking in with maybe you know 90 points. Maybe 88 points, whatever it is. That's maybe, not a, I mean, maybe even 82. I mean, yeah, I don't know if it would be 82. But, yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, they're closer point. to 82 than they are 93. It's true. What, what, how many? They have what? They're on pace for 86.5 points. They have 74 points right now. Yes. Right. So, I mean, you know, that's four more wins. You'll probably get to. In 12 games. 12 games. I guess five. All right. You win six, get to nine, eighty. It's not inconceivable. It's, well, it's not, I suppose. They're what? Uh, three, but, five, and four in their last 12? Sure. Exactly. But, I mean, what they are is an average hockey team. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. They're, they're so, 82 teams. would be average. Yeah, 82 would be average. Just like a 500 team, right? We'll see if they get to 82 With some loser whatever. points, throw it in there, yeah. yeah maybe five, 86. Uh, this one, uh, the Canucks are in a bad team. Are you on drugs? They are garbage. <laughs> and, well, I mean, if you're going to have that take, again, you know, they're not garbage. They're just not a great hockey team. They are what they are. they got to be, get better. I think Stewart uh, texted back in saying the Bruce bump was our victory. Okay. All right. I see what you mean. 
I mean, you know what? As much as we talk about the early part of the season, what really sunk them in the Bruce era was a seven-game homestand. That's what you did. You win. You the went one two, three, before and two. the trade deadline. Before the trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, you go two, three, and two. That's what sunk you. Yes, early parts of the season, but had you gone even four and three on that homestand, that's four more points. We're having a different conversation here today. Detroit and Buffalo. Right? I mean, we're not, no, no, that, that's not exactly great hockey teams we're talking about here, right? I mean, and that's where you found yourself on the outside looking in now all of a sudden. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in on the text inbox, and also you can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650, or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Your phone calls, your text, they're coming up next as the Canuck Central Postgame Show rolls on, presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Do your feet hurt? Kintech can help. Talk to a fitting expert today at 11 Lower Mainland locations or online at KI. More coming up on Home Your Canucks, Sportsnet 650, and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canucks postgame show. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650, and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Petrangelo back to it in his own zone, chased down by Lockwood, played it high off the glass to center, knocked down by Bullman, gave it away to Marcheseau, driving into the Vancouver zone, high slot, he shoots and scores! Jonathan Marcheseau between the circles, fires it high, glove side on Demko, and it's 2-0 Vegas with 7.29 left in the first. My goodness, does he rip this. Marcheseau's been on fire as of late. Jonathan Marcheseau gave the Golden Knights a 2-0 lead. It was fairly long-lived until the third period. The Canucks finally woke up in the third. JT Miller got him on the board. They end up tying it, going into overtime, and ultimately come up short, losing 3-2 against the Vegas Golden Knights. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show, presented by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active on your feet for life on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. And uh, before we go to the phone boards, Bick, what is happening on the text inbox tonight? 650 if you want to chime in. William texting in. Listen to Boudreaux. He sounds defeated and frustrated with the team's performance. He's a great coach, but with the subpar roster with very few exceptions, a good percentage of the roster needs to be moved in the offseason with these crazy contracts. Boudreaux, with the right talent, would easily take this team to a contender spot. And also an unsigned text here. Besser. He's above average. Oh, no, sorry. He's he's average. Uh, and this one, statistically, who is better, Green or Boudreaux? Well, historically, Bruce Boudreaux's winning well, record close. has been yeah. fantastic. I think he's the eighth highest winning percentage of all time uh, for coaches. Uh, 635 winning percentage prior to arriving in Vancouver. Yeah. And as I mentioned, his record in Vancouver is 24-13-8. and eight. So he's uh, it's about a 622 record. So he's kind of hovering in that same area. So his, his record has been fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It's been terrific. What he's done here has been... Great, but but nobody's ever above reproach. Nobody's ever above some sort of criticism or critique. And you know, especially in a sport where nobody can bat a hundred, <laughs> a thousand when it comes to um, decisions that you make as a coach or as a player. It's a game of mistakes. Things are going to happen. Things aren't going, going to go your way. But Boudreaux's not made a ton of those as far as his tenure so far this year. But I thought Hugdini on Twitter brought up a good point, saying deploying players based on hierarchy instead of performance is a problem. But Colson was one of our best players tonight, yet Garland and Pearson get OT shifts while he watches. And I'll say Pearson, I thought, had a strong game, and he always mm-hmm. battles. I kind of get it. But I would say that... He set up Tyler Myers for the game winner. He did, man. And Myers scores, you don't need overtime yeah. at that point. So, you know, I, I thought he had a strong game. 
But I, I do think that's fair sometimes. Like, I even thought tonight, the third guy out in overtime was Pedersen. When he, I thought he was the, the forward that probably had things going the best. I didn't love that deployment, right? And I do think when a young guy is going, sometimes playing more. It's okay for Pitkosen to play more when he's going. I think if you want to criticize Boudreaux for anything, that every once in a while there is a reluctance to do those sort of things. Especially, so I, th- I think this is two-pronged. Because I think from a coach's point of view, you would say, well, this is situational hockey. We practice this. Yeah. It's not just about rolling some guy over the boards. Uh, we have specific people that play three-on-three. So there is that element. But to the people that are texting in points and, and tweeting us, examine the situation, right? I know they're still trying for the playoffs and everything like that, but like this is where increasing someone's minutes in different roles matters. And can you get put Coles in OT minutes? Because at some point, you're going to need him in overtime yeah. down the road. Get him on the power play a bit more because he's going to have to learn how to develop that. And it's these types of things that they have to start working out. Uh, but until they're out of the playoff picture, they're just going to – coaches are going to do what coaches do, right? And it, it goes to bigger questions as well. If you're Bruce Boudreaux, are you coaching for yourself to try to get W's because it looks good on your CV? Or are you coaching for what's best for the franchise even though you're not here long term? Right? It's, it's all these big picture questions come into the granular decisions. Yeah, it's true. At the same time, though, I would say that Boudreaux, any coach, his chief concern is always going to be to win as many games as possible. That's all you yeah. worry about. I would say that it's not like he's benching guys. I- I'd say it's a problem if he's, say, sitting guys like Patkoles and not playing them and really preferring veterans over him, I think that would stunt his development. I don't think, you know, getting a couple, you know, not playing a couple more minutes is going to stunt his development. So I don't think it, it hurts the team's future. But you do kind of wonder, what is the focus going to be the rest of the season, right? And with this team showing, showing an inability to show that maturity and having better starts, you know, maybe, maybe you shouldn't be leaning into that leadership group as much as far as the ice time goes right but we'll see how that goes as the rest of time goes on a lot of texts coming in here uh jamie rose says damn disappointing we couldn't get a w i was at the game tonight love the hype host's energy the fans in ot are what we need throughout the game shout out to game entertainment so jamie rose sticking up for game ops here tonight uh <laughs> Can't game ops with game thing on the post listen man, it, it, sometimes you catch strays that's what happens they've been uh, doing fantastic all year <laughs> Uh, this text unsigned. There's no way PD should be playing OT. He can't keep up and was 50 feet behind his check when they scored. Well, I mean, <laughs> we've talked about that play. Yeah, we've it, talked about he that made play. he made a, But I will also say like, that was a long shift for him because Horvat wasn't his line mate in overtime initially. The Horvat came on afterwards, and PD got caught up by ice and he didn't have gas to come back on that last back check. Bo was fresher on that shift. And yeah, he, he made a not a good play, but just to. You know, show why he was so far behind. That was a long shift in overtime for him. Our guy Sammy uh, tweeting me. Petey uh, was on the wrong side of the puck, but Bo made a very poor read. Yep. He needs to support above the puck within 10 to 15 feet of Petey. That way he could easily cut off the Vegas player when he won the puck battle. Good, good positioning sets simple defending angles. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good text. Uh, I like this take from Basketball Phil on Twitter. Is this uh, this the week a show topic? Is what Canucks play in the World Championships? Ooh. That's a, that's a good one for that's Phil. A, that's a good one. A veteran sports talk radio listener. He, he's ahead of the curve. He knows what's happening. He's, like, he's predicting. scribble that one down furiously. He's predicting the conversations ahead of time. All right, keep those thoughts coming in on the text inbox, 650-650. Uh, let's go uh, back to the phone board, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Let's go to Maple Ridge where Dale is on the line. Dale, thanks for calling in. What do you have tonight? 
Hey, gentlemen. I love your show. I'm turning 55 this April. Attaboy. I've been a Canucks fan since I can remember. Crazy Canucks fan. <laughs> love it. But um, you ask why the fans don't think this regime can get things done in the offseason. I was a big Benning fan, but he left the cupboards bare trying to go for it. And like, you need at least two top pairing defensemen. You can't get that done in one offseason. You might get one if you make a big move, but you're not getting two, so that's going to take some time. I mean, I got a question for you. Other than last year when Benny made all the big moves in the summer and Gillis making the Schneider for the pick that got Horvat, and maybe um, one way back with uh, Cam Neely, when were big core moves made at the draft or in the summer with Canucks? Never. Well, so I mean, the, the Luongo trade was Luongo trade? Luongo trade was right at the draft, the day before the draft. Okay, but I mean, they're, they're, I think they had a lot more. Um, so let me ask you this then: Why will the, why will the Canucks players' value go up in the summer when they weren't at the trade deadline good enough? I mean, I don't think they're going to be able to get a whole bunch of stuff done this summer. They may get one or two moves, and that's it, and that's scary. Um, lastly, if I can ask you this too, yeah. do you think Bruce Boudreau knows that his time's up here? He just sounds so defeated in that opportunity. He's from Hershey. That opportunity in Philly's coming up. It looks awfully good for him. Yeah. And it just, I don't know. It's just something sounds off when you hear Alvin come out with his comments and then how Bruce has hung his head lately. I just think, I just think something's up. Hey, uh, hey thanks for the phone call. I uh, appreciate those thoughts, and we'll answer both those questions to you. Let's start from the first question he asked, and I think it's a fair question to ask. Why do we think the Canucks can get work done this offseason when the valuations for the players that they talked about on their roster were not met at the trade deadline? Is that magically going to change in the offseason? I think there, there are multiple things here that I think factor in, the first one being there is a world where you have more interested parties in the offseason as opposed, as opposed to uh, in the season. It could be teams that miss the playoffs that now are, are open for business. It could be teams that were playoff teams that weren't willing to make moves with core players because they're in you know a hunt that year that may have a different idea about their players in the offseason. So I think there are more possibilities available to you. But more possibilities doesn't necessarily mean better value. It just means you have more possibilities. And I think if you're not getting the value the way that you want, you want to be open to other possibilities that may be more beneficial to you. And I think in the offseason, that's more easy to do. And then you can also shift and say, okay, if we make this move now, we can take a loss here because I can, I can get a gain doing this next move that you can't do during the season. We said this heading up into the deadline. They weren't getting offers that made them say yes. So unless yeah. you were getting the ones that really blow you away and say, hey, we have to do this, the offers that you were probably getting are probably still going to be there for you in the summer. Yes. The one that we reference a lot, if the Rangers were to make a play for someone like JT Miller, it was you know the first, Nils Lungfist, and someone like Philip Hedl, or maybe Vidali Kravstov. That's still going to be there for you. So it's not just about players' value going up, it's... Is the deal that you said no to still going to be around? So do, do the players retain their value? And I think that offer, the one that's been reported, it's still going to be there. New yeah. York's not suddenly going to say, wow, you know, we can't really do that. It's not Keandre Miller getting involved. It's not Braden Schneider getting involved in the deal. It's still the same offer. That will still exist in the summer. And, and that's exactly it. So it's even if you're not getting the price you want, why take 
less now when you can get the same deal in the offseason. I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. And there are many examples of teams coming in and all of a sudden offering you something that other teams didn't do. And I've brought this example up, but just to answer Dale's question, this is what happened with the Flyers and Rasmus Bristolainen. They missed the playoffs narrowly last year, had a top 15 pick in the draft, and they said, we want to get back in the playoffs. They traded that pick for Rasmus Bristolainen. They weren't getting those offers at the deadline for him, but they got a better deal in the offseason because the team had a need, they had a desire, they were desperate, they targeted him, they gave a bit more. Those opportunities could arise for you, so I think that's something you could do. Now, the second part of the question that he had... About Bruce Boudreaux, and it's true, Bruce Boudreaux is going to have options. He's going to have options. A, there's a team option, and as reported yesterday by uh, Elliot Friedman on Hockey Night on 32 Thoughts, that Bruce also might have an opt-out as well. So. You mentioned the Philly job. That's one that could be available. Hey, look, what, what else happens around the league? Does Toronto job suddenly become available? Is that one that you look at and say, well, that's suddenly interesting, and, you, you know, there's there's Ontario ties for Boudreaux. Is the Vegas job, is that one that's intriguing if it opens up, yeah. if they fail? Dallas, like, that's like, – there, there's going to be options for Bruce Boudreaux, who's done a great job uh, reclaiming his stock uh, for the NHL. This was a tryout for him, too. Yeah. Nothing is nothing is written in stone right now for the Vancouver Canucks for next season outside of Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes, and for me, Elias Pettersson. Yo, a- absolutely, right? And I think that's exactly how it is. There are a few guys, three guys, everybody else. I think it's, hey, not open season. We're trying to trade guys, but they're open and listening and willing to do just about anything if the valuation is there. And Gordy Locke says to, to one of Dale's points about when do the Canucks make deals at the deadline or at the draft, uh, I should say. This guy saying the Canucks don't make core moves at the draft, along with those mentioned also the Sedins, Mogilny. The Canucks historically are pretty active at the draft. Yeah, they traded Michael Pekka for Mogilny before the 95 draft uh, in the summer. Christian Erhoff was a summer deal? Is That was a summer deal as well. I think that was after the draft, but it was, yes, yeah. a big summer deal. And to the other question about, you know, can, can they move players off this team? I think there are guys you, you can move. You can't probably get all the money off your books, but there are ways to get some of that money off your books, right? So I think they are able to make more than two or three trades. And, you know, the people think they were able to get rid of Hamannick the way they did? And they did. They've already shown some capability here to do something that people did not expect them to be able to do. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into the text inbox, 650-650. Uh, we'll go back to those coming up in, in a few moments. Uh, let's go back to the phone boards and go to Montreal where Ron is on the line. Thanks for calling in, Ron. What do you have for us tonight? Hi. Yeah, I, I noticed a couple things uh, tonight. I noticed that uh, whenever the Canucks don't show up for the first period, uh, Bruce sounds more and more like Travis Green every, every, every time the Canucks lose. His frustration is palatable. It, it never should have gone to overtime. And the other se- second thing I noticed is that uh, – Petrangelo looks a lot like Doug the Thug, but uh, I just wanted to say uh, one thing here. You guys ever see uh, Goodfellas? Yeah. yeah so, so you know when Tommy got whacked, Dickinson, Pullman, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> They're gone. And uh, I, I just want to leave with something that Bruce said. Bruce said that if I can't motivate the players, if the players can't motivate themselves at this point in the season, there's nothing he can do. Sad to say, but that's it. Anyway. Yeah. Thanks for the phone. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, dropped off there. That's uh, Ron in Montreal calling in. You know, it's you know. <laughs> that's just a lesson in life. Like we, I keep saying this. You can't keep being the person that tells fellow coworkers 
or people that are in your life, family members, friends, like, hey, you got to go do this. You got to go do this. You got to go do this. You can't hold 19 people's hands and collectively do it for them. They have to want to do it themselves. And if they don't, that's their problem. Well, and and yes. how that's going to get reflected is the contracts they get and the destinations that they play in. No. That, that, that's, that's the game. That, like, that's what happens here. If you don't live up to a standard, you get shipped out. When whoever been the guys, like honestly, you start looking at the constants. Who are the guys that have been more most inconsistent to start off games? The guys who've been here. Mm-hmm. It's you know what I mean. There's like, seven players from the bubble that are on this team, and you would look at those seven guys. You're the ones that have survived, so you're the ones that set the standard. You don't. That's on you. Simple as that. Yeah, and it's it, and, and they haven't been impressed. Sorry, eight by, players with Demko. I yes, forgot. but but they haven't been impressed as far as their habits go. That's they. I think a lot of things have happened that they've impressed the organization, the new regime, individually, and the stuff that's happened. But I think that part of it is something that's been very unimpressive to the organization. They've spoken about that as well. A lot of texts coming into the text inbox, 650, 650. Um, uh, why not keep Bruce is this one? I mean, and that's a fair question, right? But And I mentioned this you know, going back a couple months back. And I said, hey. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a for month. month. So you're going to be paying attention, attention here. And I mentioned this a couple months ago. I'm like, listen, I like Boudreaux a lot and everything he's done, but I don't think a decision's been made on his future. That a new Because he was hired. I know Rutherford signed off on the hiring, but he was hired before they hired Rutherford. Mm-hmm. He was here before Alvin. Well in advance. He was right. here seven weeks before Patrick Alvin. And then Patrick Alvin, Cammy Granado, Emily Castongay, Derek Clancy. Right, I mean, these are all individuals that that are decision makers, key decision makers, people that are really putting together the, the vision for this organization long term and what they want this team to be and how they want to play and what type of coach they want to have. They're going to allow those individuals to make a decision on who the coach is going to be. And that was my understanding a couple months ago, that as much as Boudreaux is doing a good job, they're still evaluating what they really want to do with the coaching position long term here. So that's the process that's undergoing. And it doesn't mean Boudreaux won't be back, but like others are mentioning, it is pretty in telling when he has this great run and the team's still not ready to publicly commit. And I would say this is the the decision that gets made first. Yes. Because if you're Bruce Boudreaux, you don't want to get tied till August and say, okay, now we're making a change. Because you, you obviously want to go into free agency with the new coaching staff in place if you're going to make a decision and make a change. So you have to be able to sell it to free agents, all that sort of stuff. So this is the thing that why it's getting talked about so much recently because Bruce Boudreaux's looking at this like, hey, 12 games left. I need a decision here. If I'm going to be here long term, I want to find out soon. Yeah. And the Canucks are going to have to make a decision on that soon. So that's why there's a sense of urgency around this topic right now because you want to get your coaching sorted out a handful of weeks after the season. No, absolutely, right? I mean, because once you get into that part of the year, you really want to plan out how your team is going to look. And I think with your new coach, not that you want to hire a coach and then make decisions of free agency or trades, but I think you want to align those two things, what your coach is going to be and what you're ultimately looking to do as a team and the players you're looking to incorporate and bring in. So I think you want to have clarity on that one way or another. And I think Boudreaux himself, with the way the contract is structured, and you mentioned, and, and Elliot Friedman you know, outlined all of this on the 31, uh, 32 Thoughts uh, article online on sportsnet.ca, that Boudreaux also has an option here to step out. He wouldn't get a, a payoff for leaving if mm-hmm. he decides to step off, but he can become a free agent and explore other opportunities. And I'd say with the way he's coached, there's at least somebody out there that's intrigued. And given the amount of high-powered teams in the postseason this year that have pressure to do stuff, 
For instance, I, we keep hearing him and the Leafs, and you know, I know Friedman and Merrick mentioned that, that Boudreaux didn't want to be an assistant coach, but the one place he would be willing to be an assistant coach was Toronto because he, you know, he came up with the Leafs and all that sort of stuff, and he's from that area. So, let's say the Leafs lose in the first round. And I'd say I'd peg that about as likely as the Canucks not making the playoffs because <laughs> history tells you, yes. right? So I think that's kind of what's going to happen. But even if they lose in the second round, is that even good enough? Exactly. But let's just assume they're going to lose in the first round again, which I think is very possible. They lose in the first round, they probably fire Sheldon Keefe. Does Boudreaux seem like a, a guy they may consider? And I, I mean, we, we can't say. But the point being, he himself, if, he, if the organization even came out and said, "Yeah, we're just going to take up the option next year and, and play out next year," he may not even want to do that. Yeah, because I think he wants some clarity and, and he wants a chance. And if next year is a transition year for Vancouver, he may be willing to go somewhere else to try to win before he gets to the age of seventy, sixty-seven. The least likely scenario is Bruce Boudreaux and the team pick up their option and say, hey, let's do this audition for another year. That's the least likely scenario. Yes. They'll either get an extension or they'll make a decision yeah. for somebody else. And th- the type of decision that they make is important because Boos Boudreau, w- what is he selling? He's selling winning. Yes. Hey, if you want a certain level of uh, victories, I'm going to provide that. Whether it's 620 hockey, 630 hockey, you're going to get that. So that's his sales pitch. You can win here, and that's a great sales pitch, and it's very important. It's why the fans have endeared themselves to him. But if you're going to make the change, which is okay, like you, you can chart a new course. You just have to make the right decision. You can't do this thing where it's like, well, we really like this AHL coach, and we're going to develop him with this group. You, you can't do the Travis Green sales job no. of like, hey, this is a young team, young coach. We really believe in him. We groomed him ourselves. It has to be someone that has create some kind of pedigree and in line thinking for for some type of creative or institutional edge. Now. We were, t- we were talking about this on the People Show, myself and Randy. If they brought in a Rick Tockett or a yeah. Mike Vellucci, someone that they have some history with over in Pittsburgh, that can, that can make a lot of sense. You go overseas and you grab Ricard Gronberg or the uh, the Finnish national coach whose name is escaping me right now. You do that, and okay, now you can make sales pitches to European free agents and bring them in and say, hey, this is going to be a haven for European players. We know how to harbor you into this organization and give you opportunities. That creates an institutional edge. You can sell that. You can't can't do that. Hey, we're bringing in a Paul Maurice, or we're bringing in Claude Julian, or yeah. Mike Babcock, because they win too. Well, you had someone that wins, so just give him the contract. You have to try to create something that is sellable to the fan base because they've attached themselves to Bruce Boudreaux. Yuka Yalo, Yalo then, you. is who you're thinking, the Finnish head coach who uh, helped the medal at the Olympics, of course, right? You're talking about a guy who has a lot of pedigree as well, alongside Ricard Kronberg. And I think that's what, something that you would see. And somebody you know, is asking the question, why would Boudreaux not want to keep coaching this team? I think it comes down to contract. I think Boudreaux would be happily stay here. If the team came out and said, hey, let's extend you for two more years, he probably says okay. And the Philly job... Again, close. He lives in Hershey. Yes, there's a close destination. If you have ties to the Toronto Maple Leafs, just because that's who, you, if you have affiliation for your own admiration, no one can begrudge you for that. No, exactly. So you just take the opportunities as they come. Hey, that's kind of what it comes down to. But ultimately, so far, a decision has not officially been made on Bruce Boudreaux and his future, and we'll see what happens. But one thing is clear: he's done a fantastic job getting this team back on track after a horrible start, but still ultimately coming up short. And tonight, a bit of a encapsulation of this season. Bat start, put him down. They fought, fought hard to come back, tied it up, and lost in overtime 3-2. And at the end, just not good enough. We'll continue, we'll continue the conversation. We'll hear from Bull Horvat and 
Ian McIntyre joins us as the Canucks Central postgame show rolls on with Satin Bick, presented by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active on your feet for life on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to the Kintec Footwear and Orthotics Canucks postgame show, bringing you the most Canucks coverage in BC, only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Faceoff will come in the Vegas zone. It's one back to oh. the they score! William Carlson drew this back between Robin Leonard's legs, and the Canucks have tied the game at two with one of the most improbable goals you'll ever see. You want to talk about bounces? That's about as good as the guess gets for the Vancouver Canucks on a five-on-three, two seconds remaining. Bo Horvat loses the draw clean. And somehow ends up as a goal. Alec Martinez tips it five hole between Robin Leonard's pads and the Canucks tie the game at two, force overtime, but come up short, losing three two. And this is the Canucks Central post game show presented by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active on your feet for life on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. We are going to have E McIntyre join us uh, in a few moments. We are going to play some audio here from JT Miller and Bo Horvat, who were at the podium uh, together earlier uh, this evening. Evening. But before we do that, Bick, what is happening on the text inbox? Uh, unsigned text here, 650-650. I think a perfect example of a team who would be in on Miller in the offseason but not the deadline would be Philadelphia. They have mm. cap space, and it seems like the drive to win now, and then Leaf Hader Steve texts in, we need to start including Miller in those must-stay players. Uh, and Ella and Coquitlam, this team needs players with hockey IQ. So many players on this team not only lacking skill but are also Boneheaded. <laughs> well, it's, uh, that's a succinct way of putting it, and it's not necessarily unfair to some degree. Uh, like, for instance, man, I, I feel like Connor Garland is getting a lot of criticism, but he does make some low percentage decisions, right? Like, for instance, there was one sequence um, in the third period where he gets the puck in the slot. And, hey, listen, I, I appreciate you turning and trying to get the puck on net, but he turns and recklessly tries to get a shot on goal, but he has like two or three Vegas Golden Knights right in front of him. The puck gets deflected, and it's an odd man chance going the other way. That That's just not a smart play to make. you you got to be more aware of the players around you at that point, and if you just turn around and shooting it recklessly, you got to make sure that puck goes through. Because if it doesn't go through, that's what can happen. And when you go through his metrics, and here's where I think with Garland, sometimes the metrics can be misleading as far as how good they are to his actual effectiveness. And he and don't get me wrong, he's an effective hockey player, still a net positive player. He's not a net negative. Like he's 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 a bona fide net positive player. But the reason why I don't think he's extracting extra value above the four point nine million dollar cap hit per year on his contract is because those expected goal shares and those Corsi numbers, I think don't fully represent his poor decision-making and how bad some of those shots are and how low percentage they are and how oftentimes that leads to things going the other way and you not having that sustained zone time. So as, as good as those metrics look for him, I see so many things as the season goes on with his shot selection and, and the decisions he makes that are really low percentage. And it looks great because he's so active and doing stuff and he's getting shots on goal and, and he's working hard and, he, and he's got lots of energy and everything, but doesn't accomplish much. And sometimes it's a negative. And I think it becomes more and more explainable why this team might be exploring ways to move him, potentially. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it's, well, it, it's, it's funny, too, when we talk about things of, oh, they're, they're thinking about this guy. People are like, oh, no, I really like that guy. Why would they ever try to move him? And we've been saying for months, and, and I think it's been very obvious. The only things that are stapled down, Thatcher Damco, Quinn Hughes, and, and again, for me, it's Elias Pettersson. So everything else is up for debate, is up for discussion. And in the offices here at Rogers Arena, they're having their team meetings and their scouting meetings, and they're talking about every single thing, including someone like Connor Garland. And that's why you've seen so many names come out. This is the due diligence. The due diligence yeah. is, okay, well, they've called him on, on this player to see what his value is across the league. And you start doing that, and you start collecting information, mm. names are going to get out. And you try to assess what the value is of these players. That's that's what this regime is supposed to do. It's a fact-finding mission when you first step into the job. And as they've said, it's like, hey, this is a capped-out team, so let's find out what has value and how we have to go about making tough roster decisions uh, across the entire team. Well, and they're going to happen, right? And there's some tough ones to make, and as we look at the positives and negatives, there are a lot of them. Uh, Kevin, as far as even the good players go and the guys that would be top six guys, you can totally form an argument for why you would move off those players, even if keeping them makes some sense as well. And that's kind of what makes this so intriguing heading into the offseason. Kevin and Campbell River, what's the story with Pullman? Uh, the story with Pullman is that he had uh, concussion-like symptoms that kept him out for a while here, right? And we're not even quite sure if it really was a concussion, and those are the issues because they haven't really been, you know, filling us in on what's ultimately been going on. But those have been the issues he's been fa- dealing with. What, what would be like a concussion, the types of issues he's had. The past couple of weeks, those things had cleared up. But tonight, after the first period, some of those issues, head issues, well popped up again. And that's why he wasn't able to return to the game. So I think uh, that's troublesome for Pullman, and you wish him the best. And we just don't have any more information than, than, than that, essentially. I'm going to be careful about this. It, it's similar to the scenario. Remember when Michael Furland tried making a bit of a comeback yeah. and he, he played a couple of minutes? I was like, no, nah, I can't do this. I'm not saying that that means Tucker Pullman's you know, long-term future. We obviously wish the best for a player. But it's, just, it's similar to that scenario where he came back, tried, and now you have to take another break. And so best luck in his recovery, what it means for the rest of the season. Going into the summer, he'll have a prolonged break here now uh, and, and see if there's a uh, – a better path ahead and something you'll have to reevaluate. Yeah, and you know, when it comes to these types of issues, and I don't mean to sound callous because the people texting in like, well, you know, trade Pullman. As long as he's dealing with this stuff, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like in this offseason too, it's going to be about getting healthy and that's going to be uh, the chief concern here for him and that in the organization and players in those situations, they're not going to be getting moved and stuff like that. So that kind of tells you what's going on with Pullman and we wish him the best. All right, Ian McIntyre is going to join us coming up in a few minutes time to put, to put a tie on this one. Canucks lose 3-2 in overtime against the Vegas Golden Knights and JT Miller and Bo Horvat met with the media postgame after this tough loss. And uh, here is Bo responding and talking about how disappointing it was to lose this game. Yeah, no, it, obviously it's frustrating. I mean, we need every point we can get at this point of the season, and our start let us down again. You had the chance in overtime there at the start. Just talk us through how that play developed. Did you yeah. think you had him beat there? Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I tried shooting quick on the on my breakaway in the first period and wanted to change it up, and he made another great save. So, I, I mean, if I score, that game is over. Yeah, sort of feel like you've played that game many times this season, the slow start, the third period push, and then... Oh, it's like a broken record. I was already thinking it before you asked. Uh, 
I don't know what else you want me to say about it, to be honest. Went ready to play and lost in overtime. Obviously, uh, played her butts off for the second and third, but it's too late. Like I said a million times, it's can't do that every night in the league. It's hard. Is there a constant to overtime in, in your mind? Like, is there anything you guys can or have to do differently? I mean, there's plays here and there, uh, but it, to be honest with you, it's about whoever gets the right bounce, you know, whoever misses. If you miss your chance, it's like if they miss right there, we get two on over, two on one, three on one. Like, we're not getting the bounces. We're probably not earning them as much as we should, but uh, it's it's a very fine line in overtime. Oh. What was your read on the overtime goal? Just from your perspective. Um, I just I um, saw PD and Marshall in the battle there, and maybe a little bit of a hope play, but. I mean, at the end of the day, like Mosey said, it's all about the bounces. It's all about, um, you know, capitalizing on your opportunities. And none of anything would have happened if I scored right there on the opening draw. Is there, I mean, confidence applies to everything, but is there a certain confidence in an OT when results have gone against you? Are guys any, do you sense guys are any more tentative? Or? No, I mean, we played it how we would any other overtime, I, I think. I mean, I mean, I don't know how much more we have to say about it. It's... Like uh, Millsy said, it's about getting your bounces, burying your chances, and um, uh, we obviously haven't done that. Speaking of bounces, have you got that face-off to go in? Or are you uh, thinking that that's like all these Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of the luckiest goals I've scored. Um, yeah, a fortunate play at a fortunate time in the game, and, you know, uh, definitely helped us get a point, but at the end of the day, we have to find a way to get that second one. Canucks captain Bo Horvat and JT Miller after a tough 3-2 loss in overtime on home ice against the Vegas Golden Knights. It's Sat and Bick on the Canucks Central Postgame Show presented by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Keep your thoughts coming in to the text inbox 650-650. And Bick, you know, uh, just listening to the players talk about they got to be better disappointing. I think we've all heard the same things all year, and that doesn't really resonate anymore or anything like that, right? So, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that OT is about bounces. Yeah, I don't know, like, man. Like, I, sure, I, I, but... I, I didn't think OT... I was going to come to... I was going to get to that, because I know players just say stuff, but... I, I'm not breakdown. putting a lot of stock in those answers. No, no, exactly. It's just kind of cliches, say whatever, whatever you need to say or whatever it is. But that overtime wasn't bounces. And to me, you're not, the thing is, this team doesn't make its own bounces enough. And you know what it is? When you don't work hard enough or get to your spots enough, the bounces go against you. You know why? Because somebody's in front of you. You know how pucks go in on you, luckily? Because you're beating guys to the front of the net. And the puck goes off. He's like, that's a lucky goal. Yeah, it's lucky. But you know what wasn't lucky? Him beating your ass to the front of the net. That that wasn't lucky. That was hard work. That was determination. Yeah, he did that to get lucky in front of the net. Taking bad angles is not uh, is not luck. Yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, bad luck. You took a bad angle. You know, you didn't do the right thing. And if we don't do the right thing, you don't get the bounces. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. And I think it's easy sometimes in anything you do in life where you don't get bounces because you're not working hard enough and you get down on yourself. It's you blame all the bad luck around you. It's like, well, you're not putting your, yourself in a position to get lucky, right? Like, you want to get a bounce? Go in front of the net. Maybe if you beat the guy to the front of the net, you might get a bounce. But if you don't, you ain't getting a bounce. It's that simple. Create your own luck. It's another uh, Dark Knight reference. Yeah. <laughs> I create my own luck. 
Create my own life. Uh, a lot of texts coming in. Stupid idiots get beat on the counter rush over and over. When will these dummies learn? So, you know, a lot yeah. of frustration on text inbox. I mean, and listen, it's not like they're dumb. It, it, to me, it's not even so much about, yeah, I, I think individual IQ does matter. I think it, all, it ultimately comes down to discipline, Dick, and, mm-hmm. and trust. And I think that also goes back to that culture and self-preparation and that entire togetherness as a team. These guys talk about being a tight-knit group. Yeah, you might be, but you don't play like it on the ice. And I don't mean that as far as sticking up for each other and not caring. And, and I think that's a separation. It's not like they're unprofessional, don't show up and don't work hard at all or whatever. It's just not at the level it needs to be. And it's very clear they don't have enough chemistry. You keep talking about the lack of chemistry that's always evident. Yeah, I, you notice how broken the play is at times. Uh, either you, you see this quite often. Either they get too compressed in their own defensive zone with the puck and – well, they're not fast, and they're not overly creative, and so they try to link passes together. Well, they don't pass the puck very well, and they don't receive the passes very well, and so they end up getting hemmed in. And when you're, you are got five guys behind the play, yeah, you want to move together, but the team gets to put everything in front of them. And then the other thing that happens a lot is guys are too eager to leave the zone, yeah, and they're either too compressed or too expansive. There's never just link-up plays between two to three guys that link up to two to three guys, and they don't create shapes, and yeah. they don't try to make easy plays for themselves. Everything everything is so difficult all of the time. You know, part of that is just mobility. Part of that is just confidence on the puck and, and which guys are able to make effective first pass. They don't have a lot uh, that, that can play out of their own end. And you know, There's responsibility on the centers. Be there for puck support. and Wingers, you, you, we saw a play earlier on. OEL kind of whips it around, and Will Lockwood's young. I'm just highlighting a play here, but he kind of goes halfway down mm-hmm. the wall and just waits for the puck. Well, Chandler Stevenson wants that puck too, and he just slips past Will Lockwood, and yeah. away he goes and creates an offensive opportunity. You got to go finish that play. You got to go to the puck. You got to seal that off the wall and work your way back up. You see it all over the ice. I'm mentioning Will Lockwood because it was noticeable tonight because he's a young player and you want to focus on that kind of thing. But that happens all throughout the game for Canucks wingers. And really outside of – the only guy I would say consistently does it, probably Tanner Pearson. Yeah, I mean, Tanner Pearson's board play and, yeah. and details, he's got good details. <laughs> and that's what coaches always talk about. There was a shift in the offensive zone third period where it's three on one. There, like, there was another player, I think it was Besser, Yeah, was kind of sitting behind the Stump play. puck support, yeah. Yeah, but he wasn't really battling for the puck. He was just kind of waiting for it to poke out, which is fine. But there was three Vegas Golden Knights, and Tanner Pearson went through one of them, then it was a two-on-one, worked through that one, then it was a one-on-one battle, and he won all three along the boards, and it created an offensive uh, zone time and I think a good scoring chance. He works his tail off along the boards. And he does so much unforgiving, thankless work uh, all across the ice. He's he's one of the better Canucks along the boards, if not the best. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's... And I understand there's frustration with Pearson as well, overall, with his game. But I think he gives you what you need, right? And, and I think he's a guy that has value, whether it's for this team itself or in the trade market this offseason. Because I think as much as, yeah, the contract's not great at 3.25 or whatever, I also don't think it's it's a hindrance considering he's going to get over 40 points this year. He, he has worked so hard to extract every bit of talent that's available to him. Yeah. And it, it might just be a 3.75 player, a $4 million player, but he has earned every bit of his paycheck this year and lived up to it. You wouldn't be able to say that about a lot of players on this team. Well, he has 33 points in 66 games. Garland has 36 and 35. Brock Bester has 38 and 64. 
right? So, I mean, he's not too far off the pace of guys like Connor Garland and Brock Besser, point-scoring-wise, Tanner Pearson. And it shows you the season he's having so far here. Um, and, you know, to, the, to your point, other guys need to play with those same level of details more consistently for this team. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into the text inbox. We appreciate those. It is a post-game show. It is Sat and Bick, and we're about to welcome in Ian McIntyre, the star of the post-game show, into the conversation for a few minutes late. He's been working feverishly to get his latest up on sportsnet.ca in an earlier game, different timelines, but he always finds a way to make time for us, and it is Ian McIntyre. What's happening, Ian? Well, I haven't worked feverishly feverishly enough, obviously, because it's still not up on sportsnet.ca. But it's an early game. It will be there soon. I had time on my side uh, tonight, so I never missed, well, occasionally I miss deadline, but not very much. I'm kind of old school journalist that way. When I went to college, one of the most, the two most important journalism courses that I took, one was shorthand, and the other was uh, what was called daily writing, where you were given a set of facts and a deadline, and you either got 10 or you got zero. Awesome. So if you missed deadline, yeah. you got zero. Right. So train not to miss deadline. Not going to miss deadline. Tonight, I got time on my side. You got some time on your the side. Canucks that played means it's like going to be a spectacular call. Yeah. yeah, the Canucks played like they had time on their side. <laughs> you, wouldn't guess, you wouldn't guess no. there were as few games left as there are. You know, and I, I, you know what? Sure, they battle back, give them credit and all that sort yeah. of stuff. And in many ways, I've been saying this on the post-game show, I think this game really did encapsulate their season in a big way. Bad start, battle back, ultimately not good enough, and you stub your toe late. And that's what they've done. They bad start, got back into it. They had opportunities here to keep going in the playoff push, 2-3-2 two, and two on that seven-game homestand. They get right back into it, right? Pick, you know, pick up points in three straight games on the road, some momentum going, and then you fall flat back-to-back against the Blues, and it's done, right? So that's kind of where they're at. And tonight, very similar to that, I thought. Yeah, I, I thought so too. And I know a lot of the focus, uh, understandably, is on uh, the bad starts, which is just really perplexing that yeah. it happens, you know, it's happening actually more frequently now. Remember when we were talking about this, say, a month ago, the horrendous start stood out because, first of all, the team wasn't losing many games, and the starts were so startlingly bad that you they were like a, a monthly thing you could mark on the calendar, like, oh, remember yeah. the Anaheim game, remember New Jersey, New Jersey and, and the Islanders, but now it, it's becoming almost an every second game thing. So I understand that. But I'm I'm really frustrated by how they have been losing these overtime games, mm. and I, I know, you know, uh, J T Miller said after about how it's it's really a, about luck and a bounce, and and part of that is true. You're shaking your head, yes, so, yes. But part of that is true. Like yes. a lot of it is one team missing an opportunity, which gives space and a chance to counterattack for the other team. That's that's a reality of three on three hockey. That if one team misses, you're going to ha- usually have a chance the other way. But it's just how often uh, this team gets caught on the wrong side of the puck. And you know they've lost. They're three and seven in overtime this season. The Dallas Stars are ten and one. Mm-hmm. So do the math on that. Like ten and one is exceptional, and three and seven is now getting towards exceptionally bad. Well, it is exceptionally bad. You reverse those. Look at where the teams would be in the standings. But lately, the Canucks have lost their 0-4 in overtime in the last four weeks, since March 11th. 
and in three of the four games, the winning goal was just like what we saw tonight. It wasn't a, it wasn't a bad bounce. It wasn't the Canucks missing a scoring okay. chance, and the puck you know rims around, and mm-hmm. now it's a two on one the other way. It was the Canucks losing the puck in the offensive zone and players being caught in the wrong place. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I I've said on the show before. I I think it's wrong and unfair at times to parse everything a player says in a, in a post-game press conference, especially as as um, formal as they are now. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's no conversation. There's no scrums. There's right. no opportunity to clarify or let somebody, you know, take something, you know, explain something more thoroughly. But I didn't, I didn't like the comments from, from JT and Bo uh, tonight that this is about luck because it's not about luck. Some of this is hockey 101, mm-hmm. like being on the correct side of the puck. And uh, I know uh, I'm nitpicking a little bit because, you know, they're they're 0-4. No one should expect them to be 4-0. So at most you're talking about maybe two or three points. But it's just to repeat the same failures in yeah. overtime that they've had. And part of it as well, they, they worked their asses off to get to overtime, like to, to – Come back from the ter- from the poor start. Come d- back from two goals uh, down in the third period against a team that's been to three conference finals in their first four seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, two sorry, two conference finals and a Stanley Cup final. Like a very good team, and I think I don't care what people say. Vegas is still a very good team. Uh, I think they're going to get in, but who knows? But you know, to to work so hard and accomplish that to give yourself a chance in overtime and then really not give yourself a chance yeah. in overtime by the way you play. I find that frustrating. It, it just feels like they're just content. Because you're right. It's like it, it requires so much work. It's like, well, we did the hard bit. Well, you still have to win. Yeah. It, it, and too often it's the, the, the slow starts lead to better efforts, but you're, you're screwing up to begin with. You're, you're just correcting the mistake. You're not actually thriving in general. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't think it's a, a thing like the – they relax in overtime or they think the hard work is done. I just think there's some basic breakdowns. You know, on that goal, Pedersen, he's on, he's battling for the puck from the wrong side yeah. of the puck. But in in, in Pedersen's defense, Marcia so had fallen down. Like he was, he's literally on his he, hands he was and knees. on yeah. the ice. And so I could see in a case like that, Pedersen thinks he can pick it. You know, and maybe he doesn't have to go around to the other side. But, of course... Marcia so gets up, holds him off, and Marcia so said after the game that yeah they were cheating. We got lucky; they were cheating. But then you know Bo made the mistake of drifting forward yeah. when the puck was when it was not determined where it was going. Bo, in his words, made a bit of a hope play in going forward, and then it's an outnumbered rush. And and you know in in Minnesota, I, I think it was Quinn Hughes who drifted forward. Mm-hmm and was caught leaving JT Miller back and we all saw what the Miller back check was like on on the breakaway and I don't have my notes in front of me but the other the other the other game was a two on one but very similar to tonight where they just it was kind of Garland I think it was who uh made a mistake on the other one yeah they lose they lose the puck in the offensive right. zone that was the Garland give up, one give yeah. up a two on one the other way so it's you know they're but, As but, the standings illustrate, these points add up. And yeah. I know I'm, again, I'm just talking about, you know, four overtime losses. And so may, they get zero or they get four points from those four games instead of, you know, six. Or if they're 
lucky, maybe. But you know, you, even, eight, if, it, even but. if it's two or three more points, because it, it, the thing is, like, if you had two more points there and, say, two more points on that homestand, those four points would be <laughs> a lot different yeah. in standings now, right? And sometimes that's all the margins. It's four to six points. But well, I'll say this. To all the stuff you mentioned, you know what, what that reeks to me? A lack of discipline. Because those are disciplined decisions. You don't have the discipline to not cheat. You don't have the discipline to be on the right side of the puck. You, you'd rather make the cheat play because that's easier to do than the hard play. And the reason they're not ready to play consistently, I think, comes back to that lack of individual discipline. It's not from a lack of hard work. It's not like they don't care. They do. But are they truly disciplined enough? And I don't think they are. Yeah. And, and tonight, the, the fact that it's Vegas, so Vegas gets two points. And you get one, so you fall a point further behind. And yeah. I know... This is uh, this has always been a long shot. I think we've all always been honest and realistic about that. That this was always a long shot, and it, and it's almost, you know, almost getting impossible now as far back as they are with the number of games. But it's still one of the teams that supposedly you need to finish ahead, and they just made another point on you. Yeah. Instead of you at least catching up one point on them, so uh, it it's it's discouraging that these things continue to happen and so much of what uh has happened here in the in the four months under bruce boudreau has been positive i mean the the overall record and some of the corrections in in you know like the penalty killing that we've we've talked about and and uh, some of the uh, individual guys who have taken a huge step forward uh under boudreau but these bad starts and just mystifying application in overtime are also becoming trademarks and they're obviously not good to have as trademarks. Guess we should talk about a positive too. Uh Vasily Podkolzin? Yeah, he was good. Again? He oh, keeps going. Yeah, I I like Podkolzin. I've I've liked him all along. I think I think and I haven't looked yet at what he did tonight cuz he wasn't, you know, I, I've been focusing on how they lost, mm-hmm. but uh, Pod Colson, I, I I think he's he's very engaged, and generally I want to see him in the top nine. I don't want to see him on the fourth line playing yeah. eight to ten minutes because uh, I think he's showing himself to be uh, better than that. You know, fourteen fifty tonight. Obviously, a lot of ice time late, but I th- I thought he was good. I thought Chase on was good with him. Um, so, yeah, and they're they're going to need. I'd like to see him get more ice time down down the stretch here because, you know, you, you can start to look towards next season. Yeah. We can see that the cupboard is bare, uh, fairly bare, prospect wise, and he's a guy that they're definitely going to need. And so's Hoaglander. It's too bad he's injured because yeah. this would have been still valuable development time uh, for him. And uh, we'll probably see with Jack Rathbun at some point here before the season is done, too, at least for a few games. Well, I would hope at least for a couple. Yeah. But, you know, he's he's playing 20 or 25 minutes in Abbotsford. And if if they have, you know, a chance to go to the playoffs and he's going to play a lot down there, that's that's better than yeah. him coming up here and being a 12-minute guy. But I think, it, I think it's the right thing on a personal level to give him 
a little bit of a reward for yeah. the season that he's had and how hard he's worked to get back here. They have another couple of home games here. I'm curious if after that homestand they, they make that call up yeah. then. Abbotsford clinched the playoff spot tonight yeah. with a win, and Jack with his game winning goal. he scored the game-winning goal tonight, so he's helped that team get in the postseason. Before we let you go quickly, uh, what do you make of all this Bruce Boudreau discussion and the fact that a decision on his future is very much undecided yet by the organization? Yeah, it, that, it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me because I think, you know, reading the tea leaves, we've seen that, you know, the the response has always been a little bit tepid. Yeah. That's a good uh, way. That's a good when, word. When people are asked, like yeah. Alvin recently asked about, I think it was on, on our station, right? Yeah, was he was asked. on Canuck Central. And uh, so it, it's not surprising. There is uh, an option in there for a reason. Uh, I, you know, it's fairly, I think it's fairly rare nowadays to have an option, but in the case of the Canucks, you know they they hired a coach before GM. I, yeah. It seems to have been a prudent thing. I think the 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 question is, what is it that Rutherford and Alvin would want to see that they haven't seen? Because we have witnessed a remarkable turnaround, as Boudreau said the other day. He th- and he was you know trying not to to um, you know beat his chest, but. He said, I think I've done an okay job. Well, his jobs have been better than okay for yeah. people who paid attention in the first two months to what's happened since. But, you know, the longer this goes, then I would say the more likely it is that that um, management may have somebody else in mind and, and that this might be a one and done for Bruce Boudreaux. I think he's done, and I hope he's done at age 67, shown enough that it doesn't mean it's his last opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he would have a chance somewhere else. But, you know, I think he's done, on the whole, a wonderful job. And uh, if if it's not him, then they must have somebody unbelievable in mind uh, to get more out of this team next year than what Boudreaux has gotten out of them this year. Well, none of us really know what decisions this front office is going to make and how successful they'll be. But one thing I can say with certainty is they put a lot of thought into what decisions sure. they make, and it's going to have at least some logic behind it, and we'll see ultimately what that ends up being. Ian, oh, it's a pleasure having you on the show. We look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca when it makes his way up there. Be up there in about half an hour. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much, Ian. You can always listen to Ian across the Sportsnet radio network, especially on Sportsnet 650 and oftentimes on the people show where Bick Nazar finds himself and Randy Janda 1 to 3 Monday to Friday on Sports on 650. You can listen to myself, Satyar Shah. 1 to 4. What did I say? 3? Yeah. 3. Okay. I'm trying to make you make you work less here, Bick. <laughs> All right. Uh, and Satyar Shah, Canuck Central 4 to 7 Monday to Friday. Thanks for listening to Canuck Central Post Game Show presented by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Special thanks to Lena and Eddie and all you listening and participating on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.